Well, we have Haman as the enemy of the Jews who has set up his terrible plan. And that plan is to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day. Chapter 3, verse 13 of the book of Esther. This proclamation is now being spread throughout all of the empire. It's thrown the city of Susa, one of the capitals in Persia, into complete confusion. Meanwhile, as confusion is unfolding throughout the city, chapter 3 ends that we have Xerxes and Haman uh, relaxing and drinking to the great plan that they have put into motion at this point. And so with the date of destruction determined, the casting of lots being made, the the date has been accomplished 12 months from now, the whole empire can now prepare for the complete annihilation of the Jewish people. And so you see in in Esther chapter 4 in verse 1, it says there, when Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. He went only as far as the king's gate since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. There was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict reached. They fasted, wept, and lamented, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And so as the news now goes throughout Susa and begins to move throughout the empire, you have Mordecai representing ultimately uh, this disastrous judgment news of mourning, fasting, weeping, lamenting, wearing sackcloth and ashes. And we're told that even the rest of the Jewish people in verse 3 in all the provinces as they receive this command they are also now in weeping and mourning and fasting and crying out uh, for what is about to take place later on in this year. Ironically enough message comes to Esther in in verse 4 that Mordecai is really upset. And is concerned that Mordecai is really upset and doesn't understand why he's so upset. And so in verse 4, you will notice that she sends a messenger with some new clothes to say to Mordecai, Okay, Mordecai, cheer up. Here's some new clothes. Everything is going to be okay. I don't know what happened, but it's all going to be just fine. And you will notice at the end of verse 4, Mordecai does not accept them. He goes, no. And so the message comes back to Esther. He isn't changing his clothes. He's not cheering up at all. He did not uh, put on the new clothes that did not help in the slightest. And so Esther now is, is very concerned. Verse 5, we're told Esther now sends her uh, servant now to him and wants to learn what, what is he doing and why? Why are you so upset? What is going on? She has no idea about the decree that has been given at this point is trying to understand why we have Mordecai as as verse 1 says in the middle of the city yelling loudly and wailing in sackcloth and ashes. He's making a disturbance in the middle of the capital here. And so she's concerned about that. 
And so now to this uh, servant, you will notice in verse seven, Mordecai told him everything that had happened as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, ordering their destruction so that Hathak might show it to Esther explain it to her and command her to approach the king, implore his favor and plead with him personally for her people. So Mordecai says, let me fill you in on the details. And so explains the whole story to Esther's servant. Here's what's going on. And to prove it, verse eight is really interesting. Show this decree to her. So here's the paperwork. You can imagine taking it off of whatever one of them is nailed to and Susa pulling it down. Here, give this to her. Explain it to her and command her to go to the king and beg for his favor and plead with him on behalf of his people. Now, you might remember through the book of Esther we've seen. It's been told to us repeatedly. Esther always does what Mordecai says. Right. Oh, whatever he says. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. She, he's been the father figure to uh, her because she's lost her parents. He's been the guardian, and so she's always done what, she, what, what he's told her to do. And it is interesting what unfolds as now in verse 9, this messenger comes back, repeats this whole response of Mordecai to Esther. And Esther spoke to this messenger, Hathak, and commanded him to tell Mordecai. Verse 11. All the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court who has not been summoned. The death penalty. Unless the king extends the gold scepter, allowing that person to live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king. For the last 30 days, and Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. I think it is really important to hear her response. And her response, I think, could be summed up like this. You don't understand. (laughs) I hear what you're saying, Mordecai, but you don't understand what you're asking of me. First of all, I love how she begins the answer. Everybody in all of the empire knows (laughs) you don't go in front of the king without being summoned because there is only one law and that law is death. Mordecai, you know this. Everyone knows it. The whole empire knows it. Don't tell me you don't know this. This is obvious. Everybody's aware of this law. And so that's how she begins. You've you, you got to be kidding me, Mordecai. You don't understand what you're asking of me. And you know that the only way that I'm not going to be killed by going in before him without being summoned is if he extends the gold scepter. Now, Mordecai, you might think, because I'm queen, that that's going to go really well for me. But I want you to understand, I don't have the favor of the king anymore. Because it's been 30 days since he's asked for me. That's her response. And if I could layer a response on top of it, I would say, hey, don't forget what happened to chapter 1 when Vashti didn't do what the king liked. This is not a king who you just do whatever you want. 
And her response to Mordecai is, you know full well, I can't do that. You know full well how dangerous it is. You know full well that I'm going to die. And you might think that I have favor with the king, but you need to know right now, I don't have favor with the king at all. It's been a month since he's even called for me. So obviously I'm out of favor with him. And so if I do what you say, I'm going to die. That's the message. Send that back to Mordecai. You can hear Esther say, take that to him and tell him. Fair enough. Notice then his response in verse 13. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther. Do not think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. His response, I think, is fascinating. And we need to sit on his response for a little bit. And then we will sit on her response to that afterward in a moment. But to consider the things that that have been said. I think if we heard Esther's explanation, who would not have said, You know, Esther, that is sound reasoning. (laughs) I understand what you're saying. I thought you might have been in a good relationship with the king, and I thought you could just go in there and ask for this favor and beg for mercy and all that. But now that you've made it aware to me that you haven't seen the king in a month, I completely understand that you need to go ahead and lay low, and it'll be all right. He doesn't accept anything, she says. Did you notice that response? She does not accept her reasoning. She does not accept her excuses. And he just makes three very simple points. Number one, if you don't do something, don't think you're going to be safe. Don't think this is going to go well for you just because you're living in the palace. Your life is in danger. So don't think that just because you're the queen, you're going to get by. You are in just as much danger as the rest of us. And then his second point, relief and deliverance will come from another place if you do not do this. Now that is interesting. And I would like for you to think about that answer for a moment. Why does he think that? How can Mordecai say, somehow, some way, from some place, there will be relief and deliverance? He doesn't tell Esther, you know what, you're our only hope. And if you don't do this, we're all going to die. He doesn't say that. He says, in fact, the opposite. He says, with great and amazing faith, relief and deliverance is absolutely going to come. Where did he get that faith? And I submit to you that his faith would certainly come from the promises of God. God had promised that it's going to be through the Jewish people that there is going to be a Messiah. Has that happened yet? No. So can all the Jews be exterminated? No. 
So in his mind, with his faith, based on the understanding of God, he says deliverance and relief is going to come from somewhere. I want us to see what an important point that we are seeing from him, even at this moment, is that you are seeing great faith because he's not looking at physical circumstances at this moment. He doesn't look at the situation and go, it's dire, it's bleak, it's hopeless, there's no chance. His thought process is somehow there's going to be relief. Somehow there's going to be deliverance. There is going to be hope. He trusts in the covenant promises of God. And I would just say, how often does God try to teach us that? How often is God saying to us over and over again, stop looking at the physical circumstances and stop being stuck on the visible and trust in what God can do? Is not God greater than what we can see? And is God not greater than what we experience? Think about Abraham and Sarah both physically unable to have children. And God says to them, you are going to have a son from your own bodies. So if you look at your physical circumstances, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They they grappled with that. (laughs) They did. How is that going to be? Uh, We're as good as dead. That's not possible. And obviously God's telling us over and over again, what is impossible with people is possible with God. And Mordecai is declaring that same faith. It looks bad for us, but I know that deliverance is going to come. But here's what I want you to observe. He doesn't use that as an excuse for Esther, does he? You know that his answer is not, oh, I didn't realize that it was going to be so dangerous because I have such great faith in God who will certainly give us relief and deliverance from someplace. Esther, you're off the hook. See, that's often how we work that. We think, well, if relief and deliverance is going to come from somewhere, why does it have to be me? (laughs) It's got to be somebody else. Somebody else will step up. Somebody else will do it. And I want you to see, even though he has the deepest of faith, to realize God will certainly rescue us. God is certainly going to bring us relief and deliverance. He also does not say, well, don't worry. I know it's dangerous. Someone else is going to come along and take care of this. I'm sorry to have asked of such a thing for you. His point is, you're not here by accident. That's his big concluding point to Esther. You are not where you are by accident. That it is your time. It is your opportunity to be an instrument in the hands of God. This is your chance. And when we recognize all that Esther has endured, as we bring ourselves up to the fourth chapter, and you think about all that she's lost, all that she's experienced, as mistreated as she's been, Mordecai is saying, who knows if you went through all of that for this moment? Who knows if this is why all that you went through has happened. This might be the very point. This might be the situation. 
This is might be what it's all been funneling to. Esther, you have lived your life. You've lost your parents. You've lost your life. You've been swept up into the empire. But who knows that all that has happened to you, all that has just completely fallen down in your life has not led up to this singular moment. It's a huge response. And even though he offers up who knows, he says, you have the chance to do something. I don't know if everything in your life has led up to this point, if that's why you are where you are. But I will tell you this. It's your time and you can do something. That's the answer he gives. It's your time. It's your opportunity. You have it in your hands. You can do something. And so Esther, you need to do something. It is your chance to step into the moment. It is your opportunity. Yes, other people could do something. Yes, God can rescue and help another way. But that's not the point. The point is that God has put you where you are so you can do something. That is his thunderous response back to her. All that has happened in your life and all of the movements and all of the pieces, who knows if it's not for this moment. Step into the moment. Take advantage of the opportunity and do something that God would certainly want you to do. And I think it is such an important perspective that we would look at our lives as this is the opportunity to do God's will. This is the chance that's been given to me. This is who knows if all of the circumstances that have happened in the day, in the month, in the year, in the whole of your life have not led for you to be able to step into an opportunity right here, right now. Who knows? This might be what it was all about. This might be what all of that was about, was to bring you to this very moment. What a response by Mordecai. What a powerful thing to think about, about how he just kind of puts her life in a nutshell and just simply says that you're you're here for a reason and this is your chance. It's your time. Step into the moment and do something about it. I want you to listen now to how Esther responds to this. Here's her reply, verse 15. Right, replies unto Mordecai, Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, uh, night or day. And I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything. Esther had commanded him. Huge reversal moment now takes place. Up to this point, as we have observed and we've been talking about in our Bible class, life has happened to Esther. Bad things have happened to Esther. Things are constantly coming at her. And now here is the moment where she's not going to be able to be passive any longer. But now she is going to do something. And at this moment, the wording is very special because notice she commands Mordecai. 
She's always been doing what Mordecai says. Now she turns and tells Mordecai, you gather all the Jews, you get them all together, and for three days there needs to be fasting. Three days everybody needs to be pleading. And obviously, though, the name of God is not stated here. What else would you be fasting for? That's what fasting was all about. Fasting was how you showed your earnestness of your request to God. This is not everybody take a three-day diet. You'll all look better in three days. Obviously, this is an appeal to God. That's what this is all about. Appeal to God in, in this. Gather everybody together. And I want you to notice as she gives this answer, her answer is not, well, you've changed my mind and I feel completely safe. You know, it's going to be okay. Did you hear her words? If I die, I die. You know, there's nothing about this where she thinks, oh, it is going to be okay. Nothing that Mordecai said was like, it's going to go well for you. <laughs> Nobody said that. Only thing he says is, you're in this spot for a reason. Step into it. It's your time. Do something. And her response is, I'll go before the king. But boy, you all better be fasting about this because this is dangerous, but I will do it. And if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. And I want you to hear, she's not being flippant. This is not, oh, I don't care about my life. You know, say, whatever happens, if I die, no big deal. That's not what she means by that. She's truly putting her life in God's hands. Whatever is going to happen is certainly in the hands of God. I don't know what he's going to do. I'm clearly out of favor. I haven't seen him for 30 days. And I am going to directly violate his law by walking in there and pleading for the people. That's what she means by, if I perish, I perish. My life is now in the hands of God. Oh, there's so many people in the scriptures who do the same thing. You might remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying something awfully similar. So they answer King Nebuchadnezzar, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter, for this be so. if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The answer is, if we perish, we perish. That's what they're saying. We're not going to bow down and God is able to deliver us. And if he doesn't, we will still not bow down. Esther says, I'm going to go in front of the king. And if I perish, I perish. This is certainly not a call to reckless living, but understanding that we serve God Even when it's dangerous. And we leave the outcome in his hands. That's what's happening here. Esther's not trying to be dumb. I'm just going to go throw my life. It's not her intent at all. She's concerned. She's scared. But Mordecai and Esther understand something. 
they understand that we serve God even when it's dangerous. And we leave the outcome in the hands of God. The question that I think it it puts right before us is do we believe that God is with us as we attempt to obey, love Him, and serve Him? Do we really trust and really have the faith to believe that as we serve Him and as we seek Him and as we love Him, He's with us? Because if we do, then we need to step into those opportunities. If we really believe that He's with us as we seek Him and love Him and serve Him, then we need to step into those opportunities that God gives to us, that we need to look at those things in our lives and see God is at work in these things and look at how we can participate in God's purposes. This is the the huge message that you see Mordecai and Esther grappling with and coming to terms with. This is their understanding that this is your time. This is your opportunity And that everything could have been funneling to this point that God has opened these doors and put you in this position and brought all of these circumstances into this moment to see what you will do, to step into that opportunity, to do exactly what God has called you to do. Will you do it? Do you believe that God is with you as you serve Him and love Him and seek Him or not? As you think about how easy it would have been For Mordecai and Esther to dialogue this back and forth. And put yourself in their shoes. Who would not have come up to an excuse as to why this is not our time? No, surely God doesn't want me to walk before the king. Surely he doesn't want me to do that. We can come up with other plans, other altars. God will do it another way. This is your moment. Look for those moments. Look for the opportunities to, sh- to serve God, to be a light for God, to show God to the world, to walk into those opportunities. And if I can underscore it, even when it's dangerous. What will we ever do if there is persecution and difficulty and suffering? And the only time we're willing to walk into an opportunity that God puts before us is if it's completely safe. What will we ever do? And I'm not aware of too many times where God gave the opportunities to the people of God in only safe circumstances. It seems like it's always a dangerous thing that they're being asked to do. They're always asking to step out in faith. And Esther and Mordecai do the same. Let me end it by encouraging it one other way. This is what Jesus did for us. Jesus is the other place where that relief and deliverance would come from, ultimately. Esther had to rise up in the ranks to be in a position to be able to rescue her people. Jesus had to lower in the ranks to come down to earth to be a human, to rescue his people. 
He intervenes on our behalf, not by avoiding death, but willingly walking into the opportunity of death. There was no question of if he will perish or not. He knew he would. He knew that was his purpose. That he would give his life as a ransom for many, but his death is the means of our relief and our deliverance. Now will we step into the opportunities given to us and proclaim him, serve him, love him, obey him, and show him that he's everything to us. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, what, what, a, what a teaching we see from, from your servants Esther and Mordecai. And Lord, we pray that we would have our eyes opened and have the courage to see the opportunities that are often put in front of us. And with that courage to walk into them in a way that represents you and is faithful to you. Lord, help us to not fear evil or to fear danger but to truly trust you, that we know you love us, that you desire for us to serve you, love you, and obey you. Lord, we know that you are sovereign over all things, and we do not even begin to comprehend all that you are accomplishing in this world and what you have at work in our lives across the globe as well. But Lord, we pray that we would be able to be instruments in your hands that we would walk into those opportunities as you give them to us and Lord that you would put within our hearts at every time those opportunities arise that who knows that you may have put us in that position for such a time as this give us the strength to walk into those moments and give us the eyes to see it And Lord, forgive us for the times that we haven't taken those opportunities. Forgive us for when we've looked to others to be the answer rather than ourselves. Forgive us for that. And Lord, give us new new hope, new opportunities, so that we can be instruments in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing an invitation song. We invite you to come. Come to Jesus who laid it on the line for you, who gave his life completely. He becomes the place of rescue, the place of deliverance, the place of relief. We encourage you to think about your situation this very evening. We'd love to encourage you in any way to take that step to follow him with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. To help you in any way, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?